This is Pastor Clint Ribble, and you're listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. For more information, please visit gracepoint.net. I want to welcome, because he's on crutches, my friend, Dr. Forrest Harris, to join me on the platform. Uh, He'll get up here in just a minute. Broke his foot here a while back, so he's a little bit hobbled. Um, While he's heading this way, um, I wanted to say last week was a wonderful Sunday. You participated in the ordination of two of our beloveds, um, Reverend Melissa Green and Reverend Jennifer Smith. That sounds good just to say it, doesn't it? Sound good to hear it? You guys went through a lot and have done a lot of work, and you deserve that. I thought it was appropriate. I made a little note after the service. I thought it was appropriate that this church ordained to Christian ministry two incredible ministers who happen to be female. Last week on Civil Rights Sunday, we celebrated in the first service before the ordination the life of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I would encourage you to get that lesson. I just walked through his life, his mission, his motives, his work, um, and, and we looked at that in the first service. But we said that last Sunday was not going to be enough. We were going to spend a couple of weeks on this issue of Civil Rights Day, Civil Rights, uh, Human Rights Day, MLK Day. And so I asked a good friend of mine, Dr. Forrest Harris, who is the associate professor of the practice of ministry at Vanderbilt Divinity School. He also so happens to be my advisor. I'm going to scoot it back a little bit. Yeah, I tell him, don't fall off the stairs, or as Grandma used to say, you'd run the whole weekend for all of us. <laughs> he is <clears throat> director of the Kelly Miller Smith Institute on the African American Church. He is the assistant dean for black church studies, all of this at Vanderbilt. He's a scholar, he's an academic, he's also a pastor. He is since 1999 president of American Baptist College. Those of you that have been in Nashville any length of time know the heritage, the history, the richness of American Baptist College, which he told me before service, I thought it was interesting, it's the only college or university in the United States that has two recipients of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Uh, He serves there uh, uh, at a great school. I almost, did you know I almost came to uh, American Baptist? Why didn't you come? Why didn't I come? Uh, You guys didn't offer me enough help, actually. (laughs) So anyway, but that's a whole other story. I didn't know you then to grease the skids. So (laughs) he's written three books that I know of, The Pulpit, Pew, and Academy and Dialogue, the, the, the first Part of that is, what does it mean to be black and Christian? Another book, uh, what does it mean to be a black, to be black and Christian? Subtitle, The Meaning of the African American Church. And then finally, he wrote Ministry for Social Crisis. Ministry for Social Crisis, Theology and Praxis in the Black Church Tradition. He is my, in the academic world, he's a mentor to me. Uh, he's also become, um, a friend. I told him he's not a peer. He calls me peer, but he's not a peer. He's a step beyond me, but he doesn't treat me that way. He treats me as friend, and I'm appreciative of that. Uh, If you ever wonder who I have that I'm accountable to beyond the elders of this church, I have people like this in my life that I try to cultivate relationships with that can speak into my life. Mm -hmm. I asked him to come because we had been in a series called Lessons Learned from Duck Dynasty. Uh, The message was motivated somewhat by the article that Phil Robertson did in uh, GQ magazine. 
a few weeks ago, back I think the early part of December. In the article, uh, Phil Robertson, the patriarch of Duck Dynasty, said some things that were particularly inflammatory, painful, uh, concerning uh, homosexuality, um, homosexual behavior, and he just said some things that I felt like as a church that we just, for us, a bunch of people who watch Duck Dynasty, we just couldn't let the thing go by and not say something about it. So mm -hmm. we spent two weeks on that. Mm -hmm. In that same article, he said something, and I thought it was appropriate that we're doing this series, and mm -hmm. it was civil rights season, mm -hmm. although the entire year should be civil rights season, but this is the holiday time. Phil said in that article, I never with my eyes, he grew up in Louisiana, 40s, 50s, 60s. I never with my eyes saw the mistreatment of any black person, not once. Where we lived was all farmers. The blacks worked for the farmers. I hoed cotton with them. I'm with the blacks because we're white trash. That's an interesting statement just in itself. Mm -hmm. I'm with the blacks because we're white trash. I, I get what he's trying to say. Mm -hmm. We're going across the field. They're singing and happy. I never heard one of them, one black person, say, I tell you what, these doggone white people. Not a word. Pre-entitlement. Now he's mm -hmm. getting into it. Mm -hmm. Pre-entitlement, pre-welfare, mm -hmm. you say, were they happy? Mm -hmm. I say, they were godly. They were happy. No one was singing the blues. Mm -hmm. He's describing Louisiana in the 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. The question that I had, and B.B., I want you to come. I'm, I'm going, Dr. Harris, I'm going to have B.B. stand up here and sing beside you. We're mm -hmm. not patronizing by having one, our, one of our only uh, five African-American members to <laughs> sing today. <laughs> Somebody said, why don't you have more African-American congregants? Well, we have more than five. But we have about the ratio that live in this area. Mm -hmm. Toby Jenkins and Nicole Jenkins are good friends of mine who yep. were former members of this church. I think they live in Kentucky now. They're in Kentucky because, mm -hmm. uh, anyway. Yeah, you know. But they should be here. I talked to them yesterday, mm -hmm. um, tried to get them to come down. Bibi helped start the church. Bibi uh, was honored recently to help produce, put together the entire 50th anniversary celebration in Washington, MLK celebration. He sang a song there, and I thought it'd be appropriate for him to sing it, and then I'm going to get out of the way and let you talk and talk to the congregation. Okay. Beep. Sing it, brother. <clears throat> I am black and a Christian. Yes, good, good. I know I, you're black. I've been a black and a non-Christian, too. <laughs> yeah, you sure have. Um, an honor to be here, an honor to, to hear your words. Um, I, I don't claim for writing a song when I've taken the word of God. I've become a co-writer. In this song, we were honored to sing at the 50th of Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, famous speech, I Have a Dream, which I served also as the musical director. Mm -hmm. And it is always something that is, um, takes me out of my current place and, and realize how God has used me mm. um, and taken me from that child in Detroit, Michigan and the projects 
and brought me to that stage and continues to do so. Um, I think the scripture says it all. If God be for us, who can be against us? Mm -hmm.
Bless his name. Bless his name. Bless his name. If God, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's a corporate, collective faith. Mm-hmm. It's not individualized absent from people being in community with each other based upon a common love and faith that God is for us. God is for us. Who can be against us? That's a wonderful, wonderful faith. Stan Mitchell, you have invited me again into this warm place at Grace Point. I want to thank you, Nancy. Good meeting you and sharing with you. It's just good to be out. This is the first time I've made a public appearance since December 1st, breaking my foot. I'm too old to be breaking parts of my body. (laughs) But nonetheless, it's done, and I think we're in the healing uh, process. So I'm glad to be out. I feel great being out, and I feel great that you and Grace Point is the first place I am encountering public again. I want to thank um, two wonderful people in my life. My twin brother who drove up from Memphis to be with me, Frank. We stand, Frank, so they can see you. We, we are twins, eternal twins. He's short, I'm tall, he's handsome, and I just get by. <laughs> and then my Next to the youngest brother, Clark Harris, he's the rock of the family. Solid as rock. Jackie, my wife, is in New York. I'll say more about why she's there. But they came up to make sure that when she came back or comes back home, I'm in the same shape that she left in terms of not falling. I want to thank you all. My brothers, I love you. You're personal good brothers, and they, they're just, just wonderful. Stan, I, I applaud you for what you're doing and posing the kind of questions that you pose for this congregation and how that really factors into what it means to be a person of faith, a person who affirms the life of Christ and Christ's purpose for, for the world as God has given us. Let me read a passage of scripture from Galatians 5.1. It says, for, for freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, mm-hmm. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, almost a military term. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit again. Hmm. Do not go back to a yoke of slavery. Even though those yokes of slavery are not the same as they were a hundred years ago, physical slavery, chattel slavery, the most offensive inhumanity to another 
human being we witness in this country is a part of our history. No, we're not going back to that yoke of slavery. But the yoke of slavery shows up in different forms, in different ways that we might not see. And Stan Mitchell challenged me to help in my presentation to see those yokes of slavery that are complicit, camouflaged in society. And sometimes even a great church like Grace Point or Pleasant Green or 15th Avenue, black church, white church, doesn't matter, can be so without seeing and complicit that those yokes of slavery prevent us yeah. to live out the freedom that Christ has set us free to serve. Let me say a few things and then we get into some dialogue. I, I, I think this is the ultimate quest to live in the recalm of freedom totally. Can you say totally? Totally. To live in the recalm of freedom totally. This was the ancestor's dream. My ancestors, your ancestors, come into this country to live in the recalm of freedom totally. That's radical freedom. To be free of all bondages. Socially, spiritually, emotionally, and psychologically, to live liberated in every way God's love calls for us to live. Wow, I want that freedom. You want that freedom. You want it for yourself now, you want it for the children, you want it to be the legacy that you pass on. That kind of freedom. This is the purpose. This is the goal, this is the plan that Christ lays out in the life, in his life as Jesus lived it, died for it, and gave us the hope of salvation as it relates to our humanity, to have that freedom totally. But slavery is forever the antithesis of freedom. In other words, slavery in different forms continue to reinvent itself, mutate, and all of a sudden, this freedom for which we were born and for which Christ sets us free ends up not being what it should be. And we have yokes and bondages that hurt and oppress life. Christ sets us free for freedom. Christ has liberated us into this recon. So, now we are dealing with yokes of slavery more so than living in liberated communities. Grace Point is a liberated community. Say liberated community. Liberated. A liberated community of love compassion, and justice. You are the only congregations that I have ever seen 
I had an experience of in public worship that establishes such an environment that I can talk and share with you in this way and your pastor. You're the only congregation. <laughs> Congregations do not know how to talk about race because of yokes of slavery. Congregations don't know how to talk about injustice and poverty because yokes of slavery. Congregations don't know how to talk about biases and prejudice because people feel guilty about race and race is a kind of race card deal. And yet we got all these problems that keep dividing our culture, our society, and keeps us from sharing in the freedom for which we were set free. The verb stand in this text has this military overtone that recognizes that we are in a cosmic struggle against this freedom. And the greatest enemy of this freedom is not outside. The greatest enemy to this freedom is myself and you. Of course, Americans don't feel that way. Totally, Americans feel like the greatest enemy to our freedom are people who are terrorists, people who are out to get and don't like our way of life. That may be true. But the greatest enemy to our freedom are you and me. And the greatest enemy to what God calls us to be are resonant with our practices and our stereotypes and our images of what life ought to be. But I hear this morning through Stan's question about the Duck Dynasty comment, I don't, I'm not a great fan of Duck Dynasty. I, I, I'm just not a great fan. I'm not a great fan of a lot of shows. And I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of some of BET shows. All of them are commercialized and, and they are designed for consumer entertainment to make money and profit, but not designed to help us build better communities. But the clarion call for us to stand firm for freedom that is won by Christ is not to be confused. I don't want to confuse it with nationalistic discourses about freedom no, it's not about patriotic freedom, not just about American freedom as we understand it. That's not the totality of the freedom that Paul is talking about here. Nor is it speaking merely about rugged individualism or inner liberty of consciousness or will or about having enough resources, having enough power that one can do as one wills because those resources and powers give you the privilege to do so. A lot of people live like that. Justin Bieber. A lot of folk live like that who don't go to the extremes of Justin Bieber. I can call some other names, but there are a whole lot of charitable ways in which people respond to the needs of the world because they have power, privilege, and wealth, and they decide how to use that power, privilege, and wealth to be charitable. To the poor. Well, that's not what, what Paul means about freedom. 
Paul means about this freedom that it's a freedom to be free to love in community with people whom God loves. It's a freedom that established its meaning in ways that embrace the very nature of Christ who died for the world. It is a freedom that we ought to look like. It's a freedom without color. It's a freedom that is designed and caricatured by love. Doesn't matter what congregation, no matter what side of town, we've been created for that freedom and Christ has set us free to serve. But what is happening to us? America seems to be against itself. There is a war between different ideas about who we are and who we ought to be. In conflict are different storylines for the retelling of the American democratic experiment and our place in it. Depending on who is telling the story, it sometimes seems that there is no difference. And other times it seems like there's a broad gap. America at war against itself. Conservatives, liberals, politics, closing down government, stretching the limit because of ideology, but not because of this love that designs freedom in a way that cares for the poor. And it's a brave thing, Grace Point, to be open to the tension so that you can see the yokes of slavery that exists right in our community. And I applaud you. Sometimes we can't see it. We can't see that poor third grade child with a single mother taking that child to public schools and a public school system that has been robbed of resources of the best teachers coming out of an environment where the mother didn't have time to read to that child like other mothers would have had time to read to that child from birth on until the first grade or third grade and gets into that dysfunctional school system, gets inferior educational opportunities, gets frustrated, the mother single, working hard, come home, don't have time to really ask and be a, a nurturing presence in that child's life. And she or he develops attitudes and dispositions and before they are 12 and 13, they develop dysfunctional understandings of themselves and the community. They get into a crime element. They have a little weed, a little marijuana. They get caught with it. Then they might have a little baby. Somebody gets uh, into shoplifting. Then they're in the criminal justice system. Then we build prisons for them. But we don't see that it's a yoke of slavery, not just them, but the yoke of slavery of a system that we support. That's why right now, the prison industrial complex houses disproportionately more African American males in proportion to their presence in the, in the larger population. CCA, the largest industrial 
prison complex headquarters right here in Nashville. And you know how those prison populations or prison industrial complex determine how they ought to be a more prison? They start at the third grade and expedite those grades and the progress of third grade, third graders to determine if they're going to be able to be functional citizens by reading and passing test scores. And if they see the percentages are not what they ought to be, by the time they get to high school, they know they're going to need more prisons in order to house them. Third grade is a determiner for how many prisons we need to build. Yokes of slavery. And we got to get to the point where we see it. There is a modern yoke of slavery around the confusion of personal freedom, around individual rights. It's my individual right. My personal freedom guaranteed by the Constitution to do this or to do that. But the freedom that Paul is talking about is a freedom that is inclusive, that even in my exercise of individual right, that I do not threaten the health and wholeness of the whole community. We need to pray for those whose freedom is really a form of slavery. We all need to experience the freedom of Christ so that we may choose life over death. It's the kind of freedom that summons us to form communities where old barriers of old barriers of nation, class, race, and gender are overcome in communities at the communion table. You had communion this morning? We got to create communities that are open, free of bias and prejudice, but also see how those biases and prejudices keep people from the table in the systems and structures in our culture that makes this a white congregation in Franklin over against a congregation that knows how to relate to other congregations in North Nashville. This is what it means to be free. It means to be free to love. It means that politics don't drive us. It means that there's a love and a compassion that everybody ought to be driven by in their public policy. Did I just say something? <laughs> it doesn't mean Republican or Democrat. It doesn't mean who's in the White House. It means if the nation is ready to honor freedom in all of its totality for everybody in every place. Without this freedom, the idolatry of profit making and consumerism will be a yoke around our neck that may very well take this freedom from us. And without anybody, any terrorists, anybody destroying this way of life, without any war, we will destroy it ourselves. And do you and I want to pass on to our next generation another legacy or yoke of slavery? No. Reason why my wife is not here. 
She is in New York. Yesterday, she was at the funeral of our nephew, Clayton Orrin Carpenter, an elite captain, battalion leader of Black Hawk helicopter reconnaissance group that flew behind enemy lines in Afghanistan and Iraq. That same group that was responsible for us getting to where Osama bin Laden was. Came home from Afghanistan just a month ago. We saw him last summer. Back home after flying behind enemy lines. Survived it. Came home. And in Savannah, Georgia at the Hunter Airfield a normal training exercise. The Black Hawk helicopter that he was piloting had a hard slamming landing and he was killed. Not on the battlefield of Afghanistan. Not behind enemy lines. But back home. A training mission. I said to myself, maybe we need to do all we can to keep threats from our country and all that that terror, that the terror means and all that that are extremists and, and, and all those kind of hate uh, that is in the world. Yes, but I'm more concerned about the yoke of slavery back home. that may destroy this freedom. He was a great young man, 31 years old, was to come home this weekend rather than a funeral. He was supposed to come back home this weekend and introduce his fiancée to his parents. But he died fighting for freedom. But I wonder, Nancy, I wonder, did he die for the freedom that we talked about in terms of Christ setting us free or did he die did he die in vain or because there are yokes of slavery still keeping us from being what Christ calls us to be Stan, that's what my response is to your question so Another question. Phil Robertson's a Christian and I suppose I'm sure a decent human being who loves his kids and grandkids in spite of the silliness of his remarks. He said, I lived in the 50s and 60s in Louisiana and I didn't see anything but happy black people never mistreated question that I have I don't believe that he's dishonest so either he didn't see it because it didn't exist or he didn't see it because he lived in a subculture of a subculture of a subculture that was totally walled off which is impossible to believe or this is why you're here you're not here to give us all the answers and you're not here for us to agree with you or to you agree with us 
The church needs not only apostles, apostles, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. Paul said the church needs a prophetic voice, Mm -hmm. a voice to stimulate conversation, provoke discomfort, move us to talk about the stuff that doesn't render cheap applause, the stuff we don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Did Phil not see it because it didn't exist, or did Phil not see it because he didn't, using the Lord's words, he didn't have eyes to see? He did not have eyes to see. See, um, uh, Stan, the legacy and history of slavery, Jim Crow, separate but equal, that whole history developed a culture, a lens through which we view ourselves in the world. So a black person in the world looks through that lens and sees how difficult it has been just to be a human being in America without being seen as subhuman. That's the lens. But without the prejudice and the bias and the racism. That's the lens. The Duck Dynasty culture did not see any complicity with a system of subhumanity for one group over against what it meant for them. So he saw that system. That system had given him a way to look at the world that black people are supposed to be the property or the laborers of the field and and work for white people without living wage and not adequate compensation. So the scary thing for me is if he would have had a polygraph test on, he would have passed it. He would have passed it both. Because he did not see the mistreatment. That's what he said. I did not see see the the mistreatment. He didn't. Right. He would have passed it both on honesty. He didn't see it. He also passed it on the basis of his understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. Because what it meant to be a Christian for him is to affirm Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, saved from his sins so that when he dies, he goes to heaven. But he didn't see how that related to a system that oppressed people. And he also was in the field with Christians who happened to be black who also were saved. And he saw and had communion with them around the joy of salvation. And they were both, he said, we were poor white trash. They were disenfranchised and we were going to heaven. Mm-hmm. So heavenly minded, we missed the earthly part of the kingdom. Now, right. here's, here's the thing that I want to say. God came, walked on earth, poured out his spirit on people like us. And it was 1,400 years before we Europeans came to the shocking conclusion that it was barbarism to own another Christian. 14th century Europeans said, wait a minute, what are we doing? scandalized, not by universal slavery or or slavery in all of its forms, but particular slavery against other Christians. Another four to five centuries pass until we are ultimately scandalized by slavery against any human being, at least chattel slavery. Mm -hmm. We go a hundred years on the other side of the Emancipation Proclamation and yet we still are in the world that many of us grew up in. Mm-hmm. The 50s, the 60s, the 70s. We're mm-hmm. still in that world. Mm-hmm. The question that I have for the words of Jesus, this is where we are. This is the prophetic voice that we need to hear. 
Jesus looked at his disciples 2,000 years ago and said, I've got a lot that I need to tell you. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago in the middle of the Roman Empire, Jesus, God looking at humans saying, I've got a lot more, Andreas, that I need to tell you. I cannot imagine how much he needed to tell us. But he looked at us and he said, I can't because you don't have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. The things that I have to tell you, you can't bear now. You can't steward now. To cast them upon you would be to cast my pearls before swine. Not calling you pigs, but it was his way of saying, you can only stretch human consciousness as it has the capacity. Mm -hmm. and, and this is what I know about the church. And we've got to understand church history, not just our denomination. We made it 1,400 years before we were scandalized by enslaving Christians. We made it another 500 before we were scandalized by owning any human. We made it another 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation before somebody was galled by the fact of separate but equal. Yeah. Now, unless we imagine that after 68 in the balcony at the Lorraine Motel, unless we imagine that he got all of his telling done by then. Mm. The question that I have that's got to ever be, be, be before the church, we can't watch those documentaries on the civil rights and watch doctors and principals and teachers and dentists and accountants doing ungodly thing and think, my God, who were those people? They're us. Mm -hmm. They're humans like us that have the incapacity to see. Phil Robertson was right. He said, I didn't see it. How do we keep ever before the church mm -hmm. the humble capacity to say, oh, Lord, it's not my brother or my sister in mm -hmm. 1962, Paragold, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. It's me, oh, Lord. What am I missing? Yeah, that prophetic tension or that prophetic voice has to be a part of how we see accountability for this freedom. Because freedom can turn into a yoke of slavery. It can crush you if it is abused and if it's not honored in all of your relationships. So what you're speaking to is an American history that has had to struggle to come to see what God was saying, what Jesus was saying about the vision of the kingdom, the creation, wherein in that creation all persons share in a peace that passes division and passes geography, that passes color and passes all of the pathology and all of the ways in which we have. That is the kingdom. Gentiles and Jews, Samaritans and Jews. People are being affirmed simply because they are loved by God. And we've lost that capacity, are losing that capacity to affirm people simply because they are loved by God and ought to be loved by all humanity. But because of privilege and class in the West, or privilege and class of Williamson County over against North Nashville, the differences and the disparities, the educational opportunities, all that makes you and me feel different from the other, so that the other is always somebody that needs help, someone that always needs charity, Rather than seeing that individual as one who's a child of God, who if given the opportunity and affirmed deeply, can bring so much to our world. 
can liberate our world. I mean, we got the story right before us with Nelson Mandela. We got the story right there. We don't see it. We just celebrated his life. But here's one who was in prison for 27 years by a system that refused to honor the humanity of black South Africans. Can you imagine? 20, I mean, the Joseph story in the Bible, you know, that's a great story, but we got a modern story of 27 years in Robbins Island. Christ has created us to set us free for freedom. And Nelson Mandela believed that. He believed it so much that he did not allow the prison and the system to put another yoke of slavery in his mind. And where the yoke of slavery is, is in our minds and in our attitudes and our dispositions. But after 27 years, I thank God for God. I thank and I praise God for God because nobody could have done that but God. Can you say God? God. Nobody could have preserved him, kept his sanity, kept his morality, kept his vision, kept his health for 27 years. And nobody could, but God can open a prison door and he walk out regal and royal and then becomes the first elected president, democratic president of South Africa and then be president for a number of years where he can affirm the South Africans' soccer team <laughs> a totally white image of power and privilege, but he shows up in the station because he was free. Free. And I wonder how free are you to show up? Come on, help me somebody. How, How free are you to show up in the places where the yoke of slavery needs your witness and to see how radically free you are? Got an example right before us. He just died 90 plus years. The world, the global community has to see it, but they don't see it. They get more excited about the guy who was a Ben Crisler or whatever signing who was faking. I mean, that's all you get on CNN. Well, why was he so close to the president? Why was he this? And why was he that? Good God Almighty. (laughs) Did you see that? It went on and on. But the lessons of Nelson Mandela and the God's liberating power through his life is a global vision of what God wants for our community. The same people who were at Robbins Island, his, his officers, his guards, he invited to his inaugural and gave him a front seat. We talk about MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., And no reason why we're so glad to talk about him every January? Because right now we have domesticated King and prisoned him in this one statement. I want my four little children to be judged by the content of their character, right? Not by the color of their skin. And we take him right there and keep him right there. But his global vision for poverty, the last thing he did was a march on Washington for the poor. Justice for the poor. He said to America that if we don't see this, if we don't get on with being what God calls us to be, that America is going to hell. That's in quote. That's in print. But the whole world gets upset when a Barack Obama runs for president and a Jeremiah Wright gets on a soundbite 
goddamn America, and that just gets everywhere. He's demonized. And you go through the Bible and see how God says about Israel, if you don't do this and if you don't do that, Israel, you're condemned. And you, just read the Bible and see how strong God speaks against the injustice that Israel was about and see if you see any parallels to Martin Luther King Jr. and or Jeremiah Wright or anybody else. You know what, Nancy? Steve, you're a wonderful couple. You're beautiful. Wow. Stan, that's my dad's Stan. name, Steve. Yeah, Stan, I meant Stan. Thank you, Fred. Stan, Stan, Stan. <laughs> Stan, Stan. I know you now. I got excited. But you know what I see between you and Nancy? I just met Nancy back then. I noticed, and I was watching your interaction, and Nancy just told me a beautiful story about a woman in this congregation and how they abundant because of this congregation going and, 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 and supporting her during the flood and congregation went and just gave her a new kitchen, gave her a new, new, new start. Where is that, where is that woman? I, I, I just want to meet her. Where's Rena? Stand yeah. up, Rena. Yeah, stand. Yeah, right. Stand up, she Rena. She told, told, told me that story. That's a hero right there, yeah, folks. Yeah, told, <laughs> told me that story. Told me that story. Thank you so much. I just wanted to see you. I said, I said to myself, that's the freedom. That's the freedom, to be free to say, we're going to be back. The freedom for a congregation, when she comes and tells, the freedom for the congregation to go and do it. And then the freedom to continue to build a vision of what a congregation might be as a witness in this nation, in this Nashville County, Davidson, Williamson, to say, Let's get over our private prejudices and our private guilt about racism because everybody in here of my age or even younger has had encounter with prejudice and racism and you have had to get over your own and your own biases. Come on, help me somebody. Yeah. All of us ain't been Christians all of our life. Come on, help me. Come on, yeah. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. All of us have not been honest with our biases and prejudices, and we've had these moments that we're not proud of, right? But we haven't had a congregation free enough to tell the story. We haven't had a congregation free enough in love to really say, okay, that's the way we were, and that's the way I'm trying to continue to struggle to get over. But I love you. I love you. I wouldn't have come out of here on this broken foot, my foot killing me up here. Risking the embarrassment of falling before you. And my wife is in New York. Just let me come. I wouldn't do it. Ain't nothing about me doing this that I need your public approval and appraisal. I just need to exercise freedom to love. And God got me up this morning. Cold in my right mind. me get some thoughts together. Help me get up at the midnight hour and put some words to paper and get up on this stage. I said Christ has set us free for freedom. Amen. For love. Amen. For justice. Amen. We, we, we've got to get over this thing. We've got to get over it. 
we've got to get over it. I applaud you, Stan. Dad is named Steve. I applaud you. <laughs> I applaud you for the courage. This is the first time I've ever had this kind of sermon or interaction with a congregation, black or white, in the country. I have all, I had turned down three occasions prior to this one because of the foot in Milwaukee and Kalamazoo and Camelsville University in Kentucky and somewhere else. And I said, Stan, call me. I said, oh, it's close enough. And my brother's here. Maybe we can make it. <laughs> I applaud you for the courage because most congregations can do it. And I know this is Williamson County. I know the context. I know the politics. I know how hard of a struggle we have to get it together. Help me, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you got more private schools and academies that children can go to over against public schools and talk, talk, talk about raising property taxes to help the public school system is a big war, isn't it? But that's where the freedom needs to ex exercise itself. And thank God that Jesus showed up. Lived without barriers. Can you understand that? At that time in the Roman Empire, Jesus lived without barriers? Yeah. Love without barriers? Can you imagine at that time Jesus affirming a Samaritan woman? Can you imagine? Hmm. Can you imagine Jesus affirming a Gentile? A, 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 a tax collector? But he did. Yeah. And aren't you glad? Yeah. Jesus affirmed us. And since that is the case, I'm free. I have to keep on working on it because I can easily take a yoke of slavery quickly. Idolatry of profit and consumer, idolatry of self, idolatry of privilege, idolatry of image, idolatry of reputation, idolatry of money, all that. My 401k. Idolatry. I've been, I'm a professor at Vanderbilt for 25 years with a chair. I can have my chest stuck out as if that gives me freedom. But when I look at Clayton Oren Carpenter's life, a biracial son of a marriage coming out of the strain of that relationship and bringing honor to the nation and to his family, I think about what this freedom really ought to mean. And I'm glad today to talk about it because I'm learning more and more that before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. Freedom, oh freedom, my ancestors used to say, freedom over me. Before I be a slave, before I get into these yokes of slavery, how modern they, they're modern, they're sophisticated, they're camouflaged. They're not physical slavery, they're not chattel slavery, they're not the raw prejudice, they're not spitting in anybody's face, it's not the, the N-word, but it's new words, thugs, Richard Sherman, in the football game last week, you know what football is, trash talk, all that kind of thing, and because of what he said, all over the news, he's, he's thuggish, he's a thug culture. That's just another word for the N-word. 
The same thing with Barack Obama. Thug. Don't know how to run the country. Don't know how to do anything right. The first president I ever known to have interrupted at a State of the Union address, call a lie, and America looked like, oh, that's just his free speech. And we want to think that it's not race, it's not race, reason why he's being treated like he's being treated. Because we don't want to what? See that it's a legacy of a black man as the, as the commander of in chief. It's something we've never seen before. And much of the resistance and much of the problem has to do with how we adjust to that issue. Won't admit it, can't admit it, because we're not free. Only somebody that admitted it was Jimmy Carter, the former president. Did that make Barack Obama a better president or not? No. He has to be accountable for his decisions and his actions. I got some problems with Barack Obama and some of his policies. But I know this country is being eaten up by racism because we don't see it. We don't see it. We don't want to see it. And we're passing it on to our children. But I'm thanking God today. This means that me being here with you, Stan, in this congregation, that means Martin Luther King Jr. was right. We might not see it. We might not get to the promised land. But one day, yeah. we're going to get to the promised land. Yeah. One day, this stuff's going to be over. One day, we're going to get to the promised land. May not get there with you, he said. I may not get there with you. We might not get there to see it. But one day we will get, the people will see that freedom in Christ is freedom for everybody in every place. Amen. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. Glory, hallelujah. hallelujah. My eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. He's trampling out his vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Be swift, be jubilant, my people. My God is marching on. Mm. Thank you so much. He should come back and talk more. Now, this is totally different. They're not used to me going past 12. I, oh, I never is that right? That. Yeah, I never do that. Well, 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 uh, well, well Stan, Stan, <laughs> let me tell you. Anytime you invite me, and even most, most preachers, um, but particularly me, African-American preacher, um, that's something we call the Holy Spirit. Yeah, is that what that was? <laughs> and there's something we call that when the Holy Spirit show up, Kronos time has to take has to move back and let Kairos time mm. because the Holy Spirit is trying to say something to us this morning. Yeah, that's right. You might end up being Grace Point, a model congregation to help the nation talk about race. Yeah. 
You might be a congregation that will model for the country a way in which we bring good, compassionate politics to the love of what it means to be a Christian following Jesus. Holy Spirit is here. We've got a lot of Republicans and Democrats who are ready for this conversation to get taken above the rancor of politics and be recaptured by the ethic of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. Thank you. So, to that end, Lord, we pray and we thank you for the prophetic voice. We get plenty of pastoring and petting. Thank you for that which makes us squirm that makes us think we disagree, that makes us disagree with ourselves, that makes us go inward. From whence come wars? Come they not of our own members? Lord, thank you today for turning your holy mirror on us. Lord, lead us Stretch our capacity for your voice. Oh, Lord, that we might not be looking back decades from now saying, how could we? How did we? Oh, God, let us see now. Let us see now. Teach us, Lord, by your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. And God's people said, amen. amen. One more time for Dr. Harris. Thank, Thank you, you, my friend. Thank you.